The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Welcome back to Do Joy, my darling listener tribe. We're going to have so much fun today. As you know, it is my greatest joy to bring you resources for enhancing your joy, bringing more meaning and beauty into your life. And as most of you know who have been with me, either through Joy School or here at this podcast, that largely comes down to recognition of a part of you that in Joy School we call the vertical self, but a lot of y'all call it soul, spirit, higher self. And today we get to talk to my absolutely fascinating, brilliant, longtime friend about this topic. Eldon Taylor is a New York Times bestselling author, researcher, inventor. I was using his technology in my spiritual journey 20 years ago. He invented and patented InnerTalk subliminal technology that I'm sure he will tell us a lot more about. I got the opportunity to preview his brand new book that just, just released called Questioning Spirituality, Is It Irrational to Believe in God? And it is just Wonderful. I can't imagine a more important question for us all to be asking right now. You might remember Choices and Illusions, one of his very, very popular prior books. His work is always fascinating. His books are always fascinating and enlightening. And he delights my Joy School crowd every time we've been blessed to have him through one of our programs. So welcome, Eldon. I'm so excited about the new book. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And and with that, that introduction... Um, I'm afraid the only thing that can happen now is I'm going to disappoint everybody, but we'll do our best. (laughs) Somehow I doubt that. I just want to, there's this quote that um, that I feel like, I don't even think it's in the new book, but it's a quote that I, I wanted to read of yours because I feel like it sets up this, this really poignant conversation we're going to have. You said, many believe that self-help and self-improvement is about rags to riches, failure to success, and so forth, when indeed it is the beginning of a journey into self-discovery. Inside, every human being is an eternal truth and a life purpose. Using our mind power is simply starting the engine on that journey of self-discovery and highest self-actualization. Was that even from this book? I just realized I should have should have seen what it was from because I feel like it's more than mind power we're talking about here. No, that, that quote is actually from Choices and Illusions. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I would say this. 
it, you could call that my life mantra. Um, it, it is a principle that I think of as living into yourself. Um, you know, day to day, our context changes. So um, the way I see the world today is different than the way I saw the world when I was 16 or 21 or 30. Uh -huh. The way I interact with people and the ramifications to what I say, I, they have more meaning today. You, you begin to see how just innocent actions can have consequences that you're that are not part of what you'd like to see happen uh unforeseen if you will going so i think living into yourself for me means that state of self-discovery where you become more and more aware of not just your presence and the way you interact with other human beings, or for that matter, all life, um, but also w what is that internal script? What, what is it that gives you joy, honest joy, because that's clearly something you should be doing? What is it that, that, that genuinely provides a level of discomfort? because that's something I should be moving away from. And what is it that is the meaning of your personal life? And for me, the meaning comes down to my interactions with other human beings. I believe that your life gains, well, I'm gonna say it differently. I believe that true self-esteem does not come from money. It doesn't come from power and it doesn't come from accolades. And I don't care how many PhDs you have, uh, what your education is or who mommy and daddy were. True self-esteem comes from how you're able to help other people. When, you know, when I put my head on the pillow at night, if I can recall something, some interaction on a daily basis where I maybe aided someone to have a better day um, in some small way, uh, if I've gone to the aid of someone in need, uh, then I get this warm, fuzzy feeling. And I know that that has to be what life or my life the importance, at least in my life, is all about. And I believe that that can be generalized. I think that we all can find our path when we're aiding other people. Unfortunately, I also believe that we live in a society that tends to honor uh, wealth, tends to honor power, tends to honor position, tends to be focused on things like fashion, appearance. Uh, and, 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 and I do think that's unfortunate because those things, um, they're very temporal. And, I, and as I, you know, you know, uh, from reading the book, I do not believe that our corporal, this, that, and the other is the end of it all. Um, the evidence is pretty conclusive that there is more 
And I don't think we're going to take, I, I'm certainly not going to take my diplomas or my collector car or my, you know, whatever to the other side. But what I will take, and that's a for certain, is my relationships. You'll be there. I'll be there. Every relationship I've had is going to accompany me. And so that to me is, well, it's something I call the three R's. I've written about them before. Uh, reality is relative to relationships, period. Could not agree more. Beautifully stated for sure. And it's interesting, you started by saying when you were a younger man, you looked at life differently than you do now. And you had told me a story about the origin of this new book concerning some younger men in your life. Your, your sons, wasn't that part of what, uh, what, what brought this about? Was a, a desire for your sons to have the understanding that you have at this point in your life? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, there's, there were two real provocations, I'll put that in quotation marks, that led to writing this book. The first one was, when I was a young man, I had a lot of questions. I was raised very religious. I went to church every Sunday. Um, you know, I was involved in the Boy Scouts, which was church-sponsored. Uh, I was, you know, uh, a member of the priesthood at an early age. And but I had a lot of questions. Um, when I present those questions, um, younger at a, at a really young age you know Sunday school or some meeting of that nature uh, I basically get told something like well you'll get an explanation when you get a little older well when I got a little older in high school seminary in those days was attached to the high school so I'm in my sophomore year of high school which in those days was the first year of high school I'm dating myself uh, <laughs> Junior high was, you know, what we call middle school. But I was a sophomore in high school. I had a seminary class, and, you know, I attended seminary, and I had lots and lots of questions. And they're the kinds of questions that, you know, we all have, I think, if we, if we give any thought to the doctrine or the dogma that often accompanies organized religion. And so, you know, I might be asking, well, now, wait a minute. Um, Martin Luther says, whoever wants to be a Christian should tear their eyes out of his reason. In other words, reason is an enemy of religion. How can that be? Because I, I think, now, wait a minute. You know, Clifton Fadiman, tongue-in-cheek, said... And God plagued man with the ability to think. <laughs> he said it tongue-in-cheek, all right? Um, he added the Encyclopedia Britannica. So to me, when I look into the world and I look at the animal kingdom, I can't run as fast as a cheetah. I can't swing through trees like a monkey or a baboon. Um, you know, I, I can't knock down things like an elephant. Uh, I can't smell things or hear things like my dog. What is it that makes the human condition different? Well, we can say we have opposing thumbs, and some anthropologists point that out. That's an important one for tool making, but 
I wouldn't be able to think about making tools per se without some kind of reasoning ability. It is our ability to think that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. So now wait a minute. If we're created in God's image, we have the ability to think, and that's the one place that separates us. How can you condemn reason? Isn't that what thinking is? Or you get these questions like, okay, if God's all powerful, can he make a rock large enough that he can't lift it? You see, whenever we start putting definitions on something, we presuppose what it's not. I believe that atheists who attack religion, and we get to that maybe in a minute, tend to conflate dogma with spirituality. Mm. So they go after this dogma. Well, as a young person, I'm going after the dogma. Uh, The fact is, if I tell you this conference table that I'm sitting at right now is oval, that presupposes it's not round or square. Okay, so if you tell me God is all-powerful, well, all of a sudden I can begin to use the semantics to structure a question such as, okay, can he build a rock so large you can't lift it? And you have that conflict. You tell me God is all-good and all-powerful, I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. Then could he have created Adam with something besides a deficient will? I mean, he could have given him a perfect will. With a perfect will, there'd be no sin. No sin? Well, hey, there'd be no evil in the world. Because wasn't it free will that created evil? You see what I'm saying? So you get all this kind of, well, I had these kinds of questions, and I had some more serious ones. What happened? Grade time. I got an F in seminary. So I took it to the principal because every test I'd had was an A. I could remember the doctrine. That wasn't an issue. It was I always had my hand up. I always had another question. I always... So the seminary president and my teacher visited the principal's office with me, and they gave me my A under one condition. I never come back. <laughs> I was a disturbance. You're a pot stirrer. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, what was I, 15, and I'm effectively excommunicated? All right. Well, I raised two boys, my wife and I. Wonderful young men. Very bright. Like you, you work to, to see that your children have every opportunity. They go off to an elite ivy. They're both studying to be math majors, engineers. One does his degree in computer science. The other one does it in physics, okay? Both of them very successful, honor students. uh, And they both become atheists for all intent and purposes. The Santa Claus syndrome. (laughs) As you know, John Wisdom said, religion is kind of like having daddy in the hall when you have a bad dream. You can wake up scared and just daddy, and daddy comes in and takes care of you. 
it was this notion that it's superstition religion. The idea of believing in a higher power, that, that's nonsense. It makes no sense. Scientists, you know, we can explain everything. We, we can tell you about the evolution of the human being. We, we have a science that does it. We can tell you about the emergent qualities that give rise to consciousness. And, and in other words, we can explain the universe to you. Well, I'd raise my sons to believe in a higher power and in an afterlife, absent the dogma. And so that became, that was the trigger that said, okay, I one have to meet them where they are, or, or they just simply aren't going to accept anything I say. So I'm gonna to have to go down into the trenches and become atheist for a bit, put up all the reasons that science says there is no such thing. Um, you know, when you get to a certain age, you begin to realize that Santa Claus is too big to come down your chimney <laughs> and some of the packages were much larger than the chimney could handle. <laughs> and now that you've been educated, uh, you, you know that these things are all hocus pocus, mumbo jumbo, superstition. I have to go down there. So the first part of the book is what I call the thesis. This is this is what science says. And the second part, we do the antithesis. So we Favorite look at things part. like, all right, you say consciousness is an emergent quality. Well, there are two kinds of emergence. If you look at emergent theory mathematically through the lens of a physicist, one is weak emergence, you know, water, it converts to ice, it turns to vapor, uh, weak emergence, traffic patterns, okay. The other is strong emergence, and mathematicians greatly disagree on whether or not that's even possible. Well, consciousness would have to be strong emergence. So in other words, that argument, it may or may not be right, but it's not any more necessary than an argument that shows consciousness is not a local event. And we have lots of research there that demonstrates that. So systematically, the, the idea was to take these arguments of science and disassemble them, each and every one of them. And you did it. Wow. I mean, it is a deep dive, scientific, no T's uncrossed, no I's undotted exploration. It's, it's very oh, impressive. <laughs> and do you think it's just a case of where the science is there for so many of these more, I'm going to just use the word metaphysical uh, ideas, and, and it's just a matter of, of society catching up like it's always been, where, where things are sort of known on a scientific level before they filter down into public understanding and opinion? Uh, you know, I think I'd like to say yes, but I think it's going the other direction. In fact, when we look at Gen Z and Millennials, we see that there are twice as many atheists in that group of people today than there was just in 1990, you know. Um, we, what's happened, I think, 
we have a separation of church and state. And we took prayer out of the schools back in 1962. Now, there, there are arguments that show that since prayer has come out of the school, crime has multiplied manifolds. I think it's sixfold uh, increase in violent crime. Uh, marriage disintegration, um, children out of wedlock, just about every area that you can think of that religion tradition is has some moral uh, hold on. The word, I guess, would be we see that hold weakening and we see these conditions increasing. But don't you think that's partly just because of people's experience of religion? Don't you think that is about the the dogma and the the parts of religion that are not in keeping with the truly spiritual? Well, yes and no. That's where I'm going. You see, with the separation of church and state, prayer coming out of schools, Pledge of Allegiance coming out, all these things, that's fine and dandy, except that it gave rise to we're no longer talking about religion, we're no longer talking about spirituality, we're no longer talking about morality per se. I mean, the last time I met somebody who had actually taken an ethics class that wasn't my age, I I, I just don't remember someone that's actually taken an ethics class, okay? uh, Axiology, what's that? You understand? I mean, so what happened is it gave rise to secular preference. If you're mm-hmm. not teaching anything like that, you're teaching secularism. Mm-hmm. Well, when we're teaching secularism, our young people are being educated in that direction. And then you add the dogma into it, and of course they're going to come away. Mm-hmm. Uh, atheistic, agnostic, uh, but, but we see it worsening. And I think that the sad part about that, for you and me, if somebody wants to be an atheist, that's that's their choice. But the sad part is just about the majority of these young people report a higher incidence of depression a higher incidence of isolation, a higher incidence of, of it doesn't matter. You know, life sucks and then you die. That's the best metaphor that you can have. They have no higher purpose. They're on a rat race that they can't win. Um, and when you talk to young people today, they'll tell you, you know, they can't afford a home. Uh, they're barely getting by. Uh, some of them are... I saw the other day that under ages uh, under the age of 30, 25% of young people are still getting support from their parents. So they're looking at a world that seems to be going downhill fast. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a great book uh, called The Power of Bad. The Power of Bad is really where we get the good from and how the bad is being used in many ways to exploit us. So as a case in point, religion dwined when America was initially founded. 
it just kept getting, you know, less and less people going to church. It wasn't that they didn't believe in a God. That isn't what I'm talking about. It was that they just quit attending church, quit, you know, paying their tithe or being involved. And, and then along came evangelicalism. You see, as long as the ministers were telling you God is all good, everything is great, God loves you, people moved away. But as soon as we got the power of bad, <laughs> hellfire and brimstone, everybody went back to church. <clears throat> because we're when still you... primarily driven by our fears, right? More than anything else. So you, you use that element of fear, you're going to capture people. And that's and that adds in to where young people are today. We live in an environment where everything around us is telling us about something fearful. You know, the the, the planet is dying. Uh, politicians are crooked. Uh, I challenge you to tell me when the last time was that you saw five minutes in the news, just five minutes of a one-hour news show that was dedicated to something that made you feel good, <laughs> that was all positive. Um, when you throw that all, you know, into the cup that Gen Z and millennials are living with, you can see why it's easy to be just negative. It's easy to just, you know, look at the world as though we are meat machines. Uh, and when it's done, it's just done. And that's all there is to it. And you can't win. Yeah. A lot of young people are facing that's that. That's the sad part. See, that's, to me, that's the real sad part that's inherent to the atheism. We... I didn't mean cut you off. Did you want to go somewhere before I say this? No, no, you go ahead. Okay. We have research that shows if you're in pain in the hospital, say, and a loved one takes your hand and holds it, your pain diminishes. Mm -hmm. Research shows as you're sitting on the sofa, you're watching television with your loved one, your spouse, and you're holding hands, your blood pressure decreases, um, your cardio slows down. In other words, this contact, just this contact, shouldn't surprise us, is good for us. We, we know research with newborns, if, if the newborn isn't touched, there's a tremendous difference in their growth in, while they're, just while they're in the hospital, three to five days, as opposed to being stroked or breastfed, etc. To say nothing of their health and overall wellness. So, with that in mind, I want to suggest something to you. You've come out of the university, you're a Gen Z, you're a millennium, you're looking out there, you don't trust authorities. Um, you see all this BS that institutionalized religion wants to put on you that I call dogma. Uh, you you know, these, these notions that the earth is 7,000 years old. Come on, that doesn't square with science now, does it? <laughs> huh? And 
the Santa Claus syndrome, well, you know, that's pretty well been put out there. Everybody, I, I think, nowadays hears that story uh, at, in, in, in university at some level or another. Uh, you've thought this entire thing through, and you see a world that is just full of fear. Fear mongers on every corner. Okay? Not a lot of hope. And no hand to hold. And when you're alone, you're alone. What is there, what is there to look forward to? Now, we know that spiritual practices, Lisa, are very beneficial. Uh, you'll live longer and, and, and you'll be happier and uh, you're going to be more monogamous and all sorts of things. We may talk about all the studies that have been run there. But when you get some of these atheists, like I've, I've talked to several of them, but I, I'm going to single one out here who calls himself atheist. But when I talk to him, and I've interviewed him a couple of times on my radio show and talked to him otherwise, he insists he's an agnostic. The difference is, of course, you know, if, if you're atheist, you're asserting there is no God. Well, you can't prove that. So if you're theist, you're asserting there is a God. Well, you can't prove that either. So if you're an atheist, you're really putting yourself in the same position as the theist in terms of rational arguments. Okay? Mm -hmm. So yeah. he changes and says he's an agnostic. Mm. This is Michael Shermer. I'm sure you know who Michael is. Okay. Uh, when, when I talk to these people, or I listen to them in podcasts, YouTube, in person, I hear when we talk about spiritual practices, yes, but you don't need to be spiritual to do those things. You can light candles, you can burn incense, you, you can dim the lights and meditate, and, and I, I'm sure you get the same benefits. Well, there's never been a study that shows you, you get the same benefits, so that's just science fiction. Because here's the difference. I've lit my candle, I've got my incense burning, I've taken a supine position, closed my eyes, I'm going to meditate. On what? What I'm going to do when I get out of the chair, uh, uh, a book I'm going to write, uh, a pretty scenery that I've seen, uh, a poem that I really like, uh, the charge of the light brigade, I'm going to meditate. The difference is I'm not holding any hands. When you're spiritual and you meditate, you are connecting to something beyond you. Sure. You are trusting. Prayer is connecting. It is holding a hand, an unseen hand. You are comforted by that. You feel that warmth. You are not alone. You are enveloped. And giving your attention to anything is what magnifies it in our life. So if you're not even looking for that connection, not even finding that first little thread to pull, then there's no chance for it to magnify. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. 
So yes, I, I hear you talking about the dogma of religion, and and then that is why religion was so sort of put aside, and so many wanting to be right, wanting to be smart young people because we're programmed to want to know what's what here in this crazy place. We want to be smart about it. We don't want to be caught saying something silly. That's why they are tending toward not believing in a higher power. And so you've written this book to give them all the scientific evidence that they need to see that it's not necessarily any smarter to not believe than it is to believe. And that's the beauty of this book. You know, thank you. You're you're absolutely right. But the the fact is, um, uh, atheism itself is irrational. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make some choices in my life. So let's just talk about reason for a minute, because everybody, you know, I mean, if it's irrational, that means it's unreasonable. Uh, so why don't we talk about formal reason? Okay, I took philosophy i love philosophy it was one of my favorite subjects uh at my undergraduate i had as many hours in philosophy as my minor as i did in my major okay there is uh there are two types of reason informal reasoning one is the one is the type that we use to calculate Oh, landing someone on the moon. Okay. The other is what I use to decide what I'm going to do in my day. That's called practical reasoning. All right. How does practical reasoning work? Well, I get up in the morning. I've got a cough don't know why kind of comes and goes don't think I have a temperature but it's uncomfortable I wonder if I should go to the doctor is it a symptom of something else don't see any blood I'm not coughing up anything but it it's uncomfortable now I've got things to do today and I'm sure that it's no big deal I'm going to go through this process of reasoning as to whether or not I go to the doctor. That is practical reasoning. Mm -hmm. That's how we live our lives. Okay? All right, let's look at practical reasoning strictly then. Optimally, I would assume that a rational human being would make outcome-oriented choices that are favorable. What would be favorable? Well, long life, happy life, healthy life, um, more success in my life, joy in my life. where you're going with that, yeah. There's all this research that shows that that's a spiritual life. Those are the things I want, aren't they? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Now, when I look at atheism, from a practical reasoning standpoint, what's the punchline? Loneliness, emptiness, um, from dust thou art to dust returneth, that's it, it's over, it's done. Well, there are some really, you know, 
nice atheists. They do good work. They help their neighbors. Michael Shermer could be my neighbor any day because he is one of those people who cares about other people. Okay? But I don't think truly he has the same connections. So here's where I go. If I choose atheism, I get zipped. You get to feel smarter than all those silly religious people. (laughs) If I choose spirituality, I get a ton and a bunch. Yeah. Um, And all the hard research shows that. I will live longer. I will have a healthier life. Uh, I will be more inclined to be monogamous and faithful in my relationships. I will be more honest. Uh, I will be less deceitful. I will be more concerned with my neighbors uh, and and enjoy a better uh, overall relationship with people around me. Uh, There will be less depression in my life. Uh, And I can go on and on. I mean, in fact, for fun's sakes, you know, I list in the book several studies that have been done just to look at silly things like, You'll eat less junk food, okay? <laughs> There's a whole list. People have actually studies. <laughs> All right. So, when I make that choice, I've made a healthy choice based on reason. Right. When I make the other choice, I see no benefit based on reason. If I can live longer here then I'm going to live here. If I can be healthier here, then I'd be healthier. Why would I do that? There's a psychologist by the name of Dr. Eric Charles who wrote a piece for Psychology Today. And uh, I think the piece was titled something like Atheism is Irrational. And he basically compared an atheist to a narcissist. He, He said, you know, the thing about it, atheists is if you look at their behavior they fit the narcissistic personality disorder they're cocky manipulative selfish patronizing and demanding so the next time you see this debate someone like Deepak Chopra see if that isn't true (laughs) Uh, yeah I I think that um what we just fail to take into account so often is that every one of us is a liberty to choose what we believe in. Our beliefs are just subscriptions, what we choose to subscribe to believe in. And I think that for some people, there is that that fear of somehow looking foolish, somehow not being the smartest one in the room, saying the smartest things. And I, I, I think that's what contributes to it, but that doesn't, you know, doesn't serve. You know, when you say reminded. Uh, one, of, one of my readers, one of the comments on the book is, uh, was from a biologist in a university who said to me uh, in the comment, thank you for your book. I can now believe and not be embarrassed and I can tell my colleagues why. That's what I love about this book. That's why it's so yeah. needed because there are people out there who are just needing that that research, that background to just shore up what they've always known inside and maybe didn't want to talk about at cocktail parties. And now they can, thanks to you. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think if parents 
get a whole, have an understanding of what their young people are dealing with, are going through, and how to meet them. It is a great tool too. That's how I, I, I sincerely hope that um, parents, as a result of this book, will have the ability to sit down with their young people and um, discuss rationally with them uh, what the importance of, of a spiritual belief is, and and have evidence based uh, material to do that with. Um, including to meet those atheistic arguments that are constantly, you know, criticizing religion as, well, in the words of Freud, a sugar-coated neurotic crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of, you know, I, and my experience is essentially tells me a lot of people, a lot of parents just don't know how to deal with it and or have themselves found dissatisfaction in organized religion and uh, have moved away and, and, and maybe they haven't given up the idea of a belief in a higher power but they're still caught in that place where they just they don't have the ability to um, articulate for sure, when your whole framework has been through that dogma and through that, the people that I know who are non-spiritual, who don't want to embrace a spiritual life, it's been because of some kind of traumatic programming through an organized religion, and they don't realize that there's a whole other approach that can be taken. And I think you're offering yeah. that approach. Yeah, it, they conflate the dogma or they conflate the institution. You know, the, and these institutions... Uh, they're, they have this exclusive bias, you know. Uh, we have the only true religion. All the others are wrong. You've got to, you know, and, and that, that exclusivity divides us in the first place. And, and you, so you subscribe to it, and then you find that you're disappointed, you're mistreated. Uh, I, I, I did a radio show yesterday on the book. And uh, a caller, it was a call-in show. I, I told the story of how I was effectively excommunicated, okay? And this caller called in. This was a woman in her 30s who said that had just happened to her that day. Fellow women in a church group had asked her to leave and not come back because of questions she had. Sometimes we we have the questions, they don't get answered, we're told to refrain from the mysteries, but sometimes churches and the people within the church, especially with these exclusive biases, this sense of righteous indignation, uh, righteous zealism, zealotism anyway, uh, they can hurt you. Mm-hmm. For sure. They can betray you. I have an architect friend uh, who was very, very religious, but he and his wife got a divorce. And the church moved with her and completely ostracized and totally disappointed him. He became atheist mm-hmm. uh, over this one thing. 
Uh, I've spent hours talking to him. He, he isn't atheistic anymore, but he's still pretty heavy agnostic. But <laughs> because you, you invest so much in it. In and that then, framework, yeah. Yeah, well, torn away, and, and you feel betrayed. and, and uh, Sure. It's a horrible part of organized religion. And, uh, you, you know, I... People often ask me, uh, I'm an interdenominational minister. I think you know that. I'm a mm -hmm. master chaplain. And um, they ask me, you know, what faith are you? I'm interdenominational. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that I think there's a lot of good in all the religions and a lot that can be gained from them. And, and you know ceremonies like marriages and and holidays like Easter, Christmas, uh, the rituals—they uh, all have great value. But I believe that spirituality is really all about inclusiveness, not exclusiveness, and that that's best manifest in how we interact with the world around us. It's that oneness piece that lies at the heart of all the, the religions. It's tapping into the oneness. It so is, if there's a listener is. who wants to possibly just expand their, their view a little bit on spirituality and take some new sort of practice into their life, is there any little little tip or thing that they should do in the coming weeks to just sort of look at What's been, maybe that's it, is just really take a, a good investigative look at what's been my relationship with the higher power. What was taught to me as opposed to what do I feel in my, my core to be my relationship with the higher power? Do you want to tweak that or add yeah. to that? Or? He just gave everybody a wonderful idea. But simply asking that question in a state of meditation, I would think, would be very beneficial. Uh, for me... I, you know, I have a practice that I'll share with everybody that I think is, uh, it's made a huge difference in my own life. And there was a time that, you know, I was a practicing criminalist and I ran lie detection all day long and, and you know, supervised investigations and so on and so forth. And that's a world where you can get pretty negative pretty quick. <clears throat> So what I learned to do, when I first wake up in the morning, I put a big smile on my face. Mm. The I can force the smile. I just put a big smile on my face. Because smiling fools the brain. Mm -hmm. The brain is hardwired to release um, those natural, good-feeling uh, neurochemicals, oxytocin so that I feel better. It actually lifts my mood. And it's purely mechanical. It's as mechanical as the knee jerk when the physician taps my knee. Okay? <laughs> and then I say to myself, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you know, I, I've, I've shared this with law enforcement people. I've shared it with, you know, with people of all walks of life. Here's the thing. I don't care if you're saying thank you to a power. Uh, thank you is saying 
I'm grateful. And beginning my day with that gratitude, now I, I, I started doing this many, many, many years ago. Today, if you look at any of the research in the field of positive psychology, you can see that gratitude alone is like a magic bullet, straightening your immune system, uh, optimizing the operation of the endocrine and the ANS, you know. It, it, it is a bullet, you know. But it's just good it's just good for you it's your leafy greens before you get out of bed in the morning so those two things uh, have made a huge difference in my life I can get out of bed now I have a smile on my face I'm looking forward to the day I'm grateful sometimes I'm not sure what I'm grateful for but that's so much better than oh shit forgive me that's a word we never say. Shoot. You can edit that one. Not gonna. <laughs> you get the point. I get the point. I have embarrassed me. I've embarrassed myself. <laughs> I I think it's it's a good contrast word because I think that's exactly how a lot of people wake up in the morning and we've all got challenges and this is a crazy tough little roller coaster that we've all opted to come on here so we're gonna have days where that might be the wake up thought but just to consciously put that smile on your face it reminds me of that buddhist practice of seeing a smile in the sky and then bringing the smile back down into your heart and your throat and your liver i think elizabeth gilbert made it famous in you pray love by smiling in her liver but it's so true it's true for all the scientific biological reasons that you outline in the book and it's just obvious to anyone who gives it a try you put a smile on your face you feel things starting to shift so that's a beautiful practice the smile the thank you thank you thank you and yeah it doesn't matter you have to be specific we all have things to say thank you at least three times for <laughs> and then maybe maybe look into that um you know look into your relationship with a higher power what was given to you taught to you versus what would you like it to be because we can all create whatever we want that relationship to be it doesn't have to be what we've been told or taught Elden, tell them how to get the new book and follow up with you and find you and all the wonderful things that you're always up to oh it's been my pleasure i love being with you i love talking with you i love sharing now i'm going to tell your audience something that uh we discussed before Okay. Put on the record button. <laughs> the true story out there. <clears throat> if I go to England and vacuum a carpet, I hoover it. I don't vacuum it. I hoover it. When I write a grocery list and I want facial tissue, I don't write facial tissue. I write Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> when I think Joey... I don't write joy, I write Lisa. <laughs> you branded it, you are it. And I, and I, I just have to tell you that uh, you share it and uh, it has been my honor to be with you and to reap some of that joyous benefit. You are so sweet. You have always been so kind to me since my earliest, earliest days. I, I met Elden at a Hay House party probably 15 years ago, I don't even know how long ago, 20 maybe, no, I don't know, a long time ago, yeah, and just been a, a really wonderful, wonderful support to me, and I love having you here, the, the Joy Schoolers always love hearing from you, so, so thank you so much for your presence in my journey.
Uh, again, all my pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> and y'all have a beautiful two weeks. Do those home play assignments, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Eldon. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. Much love. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.